Apologies for the delay on new content and new episodes. During the past quarantine, I've been dining up pretty hard and just put more effort into that. So I'm back to making a more concerted effort to get back on this horse. I appreciate your loyalty, patience. I really hope you enjoy this one. Goff's three minute. Your story. Cause knowledge is Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand. There are few more iconic American images than the Statue of Liberty. Her pale green skin and bright torch held aloft in New York Harbor. For over a hundred years, she's been a proverbial shining light in the darkness, a welcoming figure, greeting weary travelers. Since Ellis Island, the chosen gate for immigrants from Europe entering America, was a neighboring island, Lady Liberty has welcomed millions of immigrants crossing the Atlantic to see the welcome sight of her and the New York City skyline behind her. From 1900 to 1914, Ellis Island processed between five and 10,000 immigrants a day, making their way under the watchful eye of Lady Liberty as they began their new life on our shores. We are a melting pot a nation built in the minds and on the backs of immigrants. And I think part of the mystique surrounding the Statue of Liberty is as these immigrants cross the ocean from Europe in hopes of building a new life in America, the first sight they see, the first sign of hope after an arduous voyage, and the image they will never forget, the thought that would bring such a torrent of emotions and the story they would tell their grandkids is that first glimpse of the green goddess. For many of our ancestors, their first look at America, their fresh start was literally from the railing of a boat at this woman towering over the harbor. And I think that is why she's the face of America. But she's not just a pretty face. She has a very interesting history as well. Let's check it out. A mighty woman with a torch whose flame is imprisoned lightning in her name. In 1865, the American Civil War is winding down. France wanted to celebrate America and the success of the democracy they had built. They proposed a joint effort, a towering memorial to symbolize freedom, a literal welcoming light to a new land. French sculptor Frederick Auguste Bartoli was commissioned to create Lady Liberty. Using giant sheets of copper, he hammered out her golden skin, the folds of her robe, the strands of her hair. He chose his mother's face to model the statue from. To create the iron and steel skeleton to hold up the statue, he collaborated with Alexander Gustav Eiffel. Yes, that Eiffel. Eiffel engineered a skeleton that allowed the copper shell to move independently, essential due to the high winds of New York Harbor, the chosen home of the statue. Their initial goal was to have it done by America's centennial celebration in 1876. And while they missed their deadline, together they created a towering 300-foot-tall woman holding aloft a giant torch in one hand and in the other a tablet with the date July 4th, 1776 inscribed on it. The statue was completed in 1885, nine years past their goal, and was officially named Liberty, Enlightening the World. She was then disassembled in over 200 crates and in 350 pieces was shipped across the Atlantic to her new home, New York City. Mother of Exiles from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command. As part of the two countries' collaboration, America was to build the pedestal or the platform on which she would stand. 
The chosen spot was inside the remains of Fort Wood, a War of 1812 fortress located on Bedloe's Island in the New York Harbor. In 1956, President Eisenhower signed a congressional joint resolution renaming Bedloe's Island to Liberty Island. As it came time to construct the pedestal and reassemble the statue, New York ran into some problems. Money problems. The cost of the pedestal and assembly would cost around $250,000, or $6.3 million in today's money. And we just didn't have it. Remember, our country just ended the Civil War, tensions were still very high, and war is expensive, especially if you're paying for both sides, and we just did not have the money. New York Governor Grover Cleveland refused to use city funds to pay for it. Congress said that's a no for us, too. Baltimore, Boston, San Francisco, and Philadelphia all offered to pay for it in return for the statue coming to their city. Thankfully, that didn't happen because, honestly, I just can't imagine her being anywhere but New York. And apparently, neither could newspaper mogul and proud New Yorker Joseph Pulitzer, who came up with the original crowdsourcing. He initiated a worldwide fundraising campaign to raise the final $100,000 needed. Pulitzer organized this mail-in campaign and received donations from over 160,000 people around the world. Children, working families, politicians all chipped in. Over 75% of all donations totaled under a dollar. That means you had poor families and rich businessmen all joining in, chipping in for what they could afford to, for something bigger than themselves that would be a part of our collective legacy forever. That's amazing. It was so successful they had enough money left over that they used it as a gift to the sculptor. Imagine in our world today going under budget and giving away the surplus as a kind gesture instead of just absorbing it into our already bloated pocketbooks. The air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Once the pedestal was built, it took workers four months to construct and was dedicated on October 28, 1886 by now President Grover Cleveland. Now remember, the statue was made of copper, so upon dedication, she was still a dull brown, much like a nicely worn penny in your pocket. Over the next 30 years, the Lady of the Harbor slowly oxidized into her current pale green. The oxidation helps protect the metal, provides a barrier to corrosion, and it's actually called vertigris. The statue was a functioning lighthouse for much of her early career. Since built inside a military installation, she was originally in the care of the Department of War, but in 1924 was passed on to the National Park Service when she was declared a national monument. And in 1984, she gained the distinction of being a World Heritage Site. She is covered in symbology. Her aforementioned tablet with the date of the Declaration of Independence, the seven rays, often mistaken for spikes, coming out of her crown representing the seven oceans and continents, and around her ankles, partially obscured by her robes, are broken shackles representing her moving on from our history of slavery and oppression. In 1883, as part of the fundraising process we described earlier, they had a, they had a write-in poem contest, and a young American poet named Emma Lazarus sent in the New Colossus, a poem describing Lady Liberty's role as welcoming those looking for a new start. This is the poem that's been articulated throughout the podcast by my beautiful wife, Kelly. It was placed on a plaque at the base of the statue and remains there today. Sculptor Bartoli actually offered his talents also as a gift to Egypt. He offered to sculpt a giant veiled Egyptian peasant holding aloft a lantern, known as Egypt lighting the way to Asia, 
to be placed at the entrance to the Suez Canal. Egypt, however, declined due to the cost. And up until 2012, Liberty Island was home to one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in America. A single brick house was there to house the park ranger who kept the grounds. When Hurricane Sandy hit New York, the home was damaged beyond repair and not rebuilt. The Statue of Liberty is a beautiful sight that has weathered the storms of the past century well. But she has been through it. She's been destroyed in nearly every disaster movie in the last 30 years. And it's estimated that she's been hit by lightning over 600 times. And yet, she still remains tall and proud. She stands for an idea that, while we fall short of often, I hope we as Americans will always continue to strive for the American ideal of a welcoming light and a hope for the world. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Class dismissed. This podcast, written, produced, and narrated by Isaac Goff in wild, wonderful, Wirt County, West Virginia. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle.